Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9 tonight, if you will, please. Luke chapter 9 uh, uh, is um, uh, the story, Luke's account at least, of uh, when Jesus delivers authority to his disciples over all sickness and disease. Now, Luke chapter 9, uh, um, well, let me say it this way. Matthew chapter 10 and Mark chapter 6 tells us the same account. Both Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us uh, information about this uh, deliverance of authority, this uh, provision of authority to the disciples. So we'll start reading. John doesn't because John has a little different purpose in uh, um, in the, the, the gospel that he wrote rather than telling us about the disciples. So in, let's start in Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Then called he, Jesus then called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority. Notice both words are mentioned, power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. I want to read those again. Then he, Jesus, called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority. That means ability and privilege. Over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Wouldn't do any good to send them to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick if they didn't have authority over sickness and disease, would it? Now, here's a question I've got for you. What's Jesus doing transferring authority over sickness and disease to, to men of the earth? Most of the church world will say, well, the reason Jesus healed the sick was to prove he was the son of God. Then why did he give it to them? giving them power over sickness and disease, power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases, certainly doesn't prove that he's the son of God. But I'll tell you what it does prove. It proves that God can use normal, fleshly, sinful men to accomplish his plan and purpose. Now, how does this come about? How did, first of all, how did Jesus get the power and authority over sickness and disease? And then what's he doing giving it to or transferring it to his disciples? The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 in the creation, God said, let us make man in our own image and let them have dominion over all the works of our hands. In other words, God made man in the, in the creation before man ever fell, before Satan ever comes on the scene. God created the earth and made man the God of this world. Now, don't let the word God throw you off. It doesn't mean God, man was equal with God. It doesn't mean that man was uh, uh, could create universes like God created the universe. It means God put man in authority. He put man in charge. He said, we're going to create the earth, and now that we have done so, let's put man in the middle of it and make him the one in charge. What he says goes, what he does will count. And that's the way things were until man fell. When Satan came on the scene and tricked Eve into disobeying God, and Adam went along with it, meaning they were both guilty, she was deceived, but he wasn't, but they were both co-conspirators in the project. At that point, the Bible said things changed. Man lost his authority here on the earth. Now, what does that mean? When God made man and he put, he gave him dominion and gave him authority here on the earth, he said to dress and keep the garden. King James says dress and keep the garden. It literally means garden protect. Dress and keep means garden protect the garden. Now, if man didn't already have an enemy here on the earth, there's nothing to garden protect it from. If Satan wasn't already present, 
then God did man a disservice by not telling him, now there is this real bad guy. He's not here yet, but he's coming. He's traveling by spaceship, so it takes him a while. But he's coming, and when he gets here, he's going to do everything he can to try to deceive you. But folks, the Bible talks about Adam having an intellect from the moment he was created, from the moment that God breathed into him the breath of life. It speaks of Adam having uh, an intellect where he could name the animals, come up with names that, that fit their characteristics. I have a hard time just remembering names of animals. But he had a creative ability. There was no sin. There was no limitations. Medical science says that we use about 10% of our brains, 10% of the capacity of our brains. I don't believe that was true when Adam was created. Why would God create Adam and give him 10% of uh, just 10% use of his brain? That wouldn't make sense. There seems to be, and medical science can't, can't explain it, none of the rest of us have any answers other than from the Bible, but there seems to be something that hinders us from using the totality of our brain power. In other words, the way that we were created is not the way that we operate. And medical science can't explain it. Now, they seem to have the answers about everything else, but this one they can't come up with the answer to. They don't know why. They don't know why man dies when he does. Man's body has clearly been proven by medical science to last 120 to 150 years. They can't figure out why man dies earlier than that, except but by sickness and disease. They don't know. So it seems that the human body was created in a manner that is beyond our experience in the way that we live and the way that we use our flesh. For that reason, I believe, my opinion, you judge this for yourself, but the fact that God said garden, uh, dress and keep the garden, garden, protect the garden, that tells me uh, that uh, Satan was already on the scene. Lucifer was already on the scene. Otherwise, was there to guard it against? When God created the earth, he finished his work in six days. He looked at the earth and he said, this is very good. There was nothing there that could harm man. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was nothing that could harm man. Everything that God created was perfect. And God said, it's very good. And that's when he told man, garden protected. There seems to be something or someone there that was not created. That is the enemy of man. And God is warning, faithfully warning mankind, you've got an enemy here. Be on your guard. Well, we know the end of the story. Satan deceived Eve. Adam went along with it. And they fell. And things changed. Everything changed. Man changed. His condition changed. His position changed. It says in the the King James says it this way. It says immediately their eyes were opened. And they knew they were naked and ashamed. Something happened. Folks, it's not a matter of they looked at each other and says, well, golly gee, we're not wearing any clothes. That's not what happened. What I believe happened was that they were clothed with the glory of God before sin came in onto the scene. And that light that clothed them went out. That's certainly true spiritually. I believe it's true physically as well, but there's certainly true spiritually because the Bible talks about the life of God being the light of man. Well, they spiritually died on that day, and that was the warning that God gave them. God is faithful. He was warning them about what would happen. He said, in the day you eat of the fruit fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. 
Now, it's kind of a play on words from the original Hebrew because it literally says, dying you shall die. Well, he can't be talking about physical death because they didn't die physically that day. So what kind of death is he talking about? It's got to be spiritual death. That's the only other kind of death there is. It had to be spiritual death. And what he's saying is spiritual death will overtake you and will kill you in every area of life. Now, physically, it took 930 years for, for spiritual death to overtake their bodies, their physical bodies, for them to die physically. But they died spiritually instantaneously. That's why they were ashamed. Shame is not a part of life. Shame is not is maybe a part of human life, but it's not a part of the life of God. When they were, saw they were naked and were ashamed, they were ashamed because of their actions, not because they were naked. They were ashamed because the glory of God had departed from them and their nakedness was easily seen. But that spoke to their actions, not to their lack of clothing. So what did they do? They hid themselves. People that are spiritually alive don't hide themselves unless there's sin in their life. That's what happened. Their position changed. God said so. God begins to, to call out for them, comes down to walk with Adam in the cool of the day, in the evening. He calls out and says, Adam, where are you? This is a new thing. Adam's always been out in the open looking for God to come talk to him. Now he's hiding himself. So God called and said, Adam, where are you? Adam calls out and says, I hid myself because I'm naked and ashamed. He said, who told you you were naked? I love that. Who told you you were naked? Who have you been listening to? Then he asked the question, have you eaten of the tree that was forbidden? Now, I'm sure God already knew. This wasn't a secret to God. He already knew. But that speaks to the confession of our sin. It speaks to the importance of us acknowledging where we make mistakes rather than trying to stay hidden and keep things covered up. So what does Adam do? He does what every husband does. He blames his wife. He said, the woman that you gave me, it's her fault and your fault for giving her to me. It's everybody's fault but mine. She gave me the fruit and I did eat. I can just imagine the sorrow of all of heaven at that moment. I can just imagine the sorrow in God's voice. The Bible doesn't say so, but I can just hear it in God's voice. Adam, what have you done? I'm sure at that point he didn't know. He knew things had changed. But I doubt if he knew the full import of what he had done. And so what did God tell him? God told him that there's a curse upon the earth because of his actions. In other words, things have changed spiritually. You don't have the same place of authority anymore. He said, from now on, the fruit of the ground will only come forth by the sweat of your brow, which indicates to me that it happened in a different way before then. Now, I don't know what that way is. I can speculate. Maybe God spoke to things like God did, and they produced. I don't know. Maybe it was some other way. But from this point forward, he says, the ground is not going to cooperate with you except by hard labor. In other words, it's going to be a physical action that determines the results you get, not a spiritual one. Why? Because you don't have authority anymore. You don't have authority anymore. Satan is now the God of this world. Adam, uh, or um, what's his name? Paul makes that real clear in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 
Satan is the god of this world. Well, how did he become the god of this world? He certainly wasn't made to be the god of this world. The only way he could become the god of this world was through the fall of Adam and Eve. Well, what does that mean? That means man has no longer authority here on the earth. Now, before sin came on the scene, there was no sickness and disease for man to have authority over. But he had authority over all of the works of God's hands, meaning he would have had authority over everything that was on the earth. So if there had been some way for sin, sickness and disease to come into the earth, but except for his sin and his and, uh, and uh, Eve's disobedience, he would have had authority over it because he was given authority by God. Right? But sickness and disease only came through their fall. So there was no authority for them to exercise in that regard. But now that Satan is God of this world, sickness and disease is a part of the package. Where does that leave man? That leaves him without authority. So then how did Jesus get authority? Well, the, the easy answer, the religious answer, the answer that people give without thinking, without reading the Bible, and really seeing what it says is they say, well, Jesus was the Son of God, therefore he had authority. Well, then turn with me over to uh, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is Peter's describing what happens in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Luke chapter 4 tells us about how that Jesus was baptized and everybody that was there saw the Holy Spirit come upon him in bodily shape as a dove. doesn't mean it looked like a dove. It means something came from heaven like a bird would fly out of the sky to the earth, landed on Jesus and stayed there. That's all it means. Nobody described what it was other than came like a dove. Something came from heaven, landed on Jesus and stayed there. But Peter, in recalling this and preaching this event, tells us in verse 38, he says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Peter's description of Jesus being baptized by John in the Jordan River is that there was an anointing. When the Holy Ghost came upon him, there was an anointing, a power that came upon him that enabled him to heal the sick. Now, let me ask you a question, folks, and and I know this seems like a simple thing, but I really want you to think this through. If Jesus was the Son of God, which he was, but if Jesus came to the earth as the Son of God and therefore had all power and all authority over sickness and disease, why would he need to be anointed of God? Now, you can take scriptures out of the Bible and try to make them say what you want them to say, which a lot of people do. And say, well, that doesn't mean that God really gave Jesus power. He was the son of God, and so he already had that power. But, folks, I want you to understand something. People get saved off Peter's preaching. Peter is inspired by the Holy Ghost to say it. The Holy Ghost inspires Luke to give us a record of it. And people's spiritual lives were changed for all eternity because of the preaching that he did. So you're going to tell me that Peter just made a mistake about who Jesus was? When the whole reason Jesus is there at Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10 is because an angel has appeared and said, send to a certain place for Peter. He'll tell you words whereby you and your house can be saved. And God didn't have any better sense than to pick somebody that's going to make a mistake about who Jesus was. Now, I know that people don't talk like this. I know people don't approach spiritual things like this. And as a result, most Christians don't think about what they believe. 
But it's really important for you to think about what you believe so that you can be sure you're believing what the Bible says. So back to my original question. If Jesus was here on the earth and had had authority over sickness and disease because he was the son of God, why did God need to anoint him? We know one thing for sure. We know that Jesus didn't perform any miracles until after he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. That's certainly a coincidence, isn't it? Especially when the Bible says that baptism by John in the Jordan River was the anointing of God upon Jesus with power over sickness and disease. And let me turn the question around a little bit and approach it from a little different angle. If Jesus was the Son of God, how could he be anointed? If he's operating as the Son of God here on the earth. Now, I realize that people are going to take offense at the way that I say that. Jesus was the Son of God, but he said himself that he wasn't here as the Son of God. He calls himself the son of man. When people ask him where is the source of his power, he identifies it as man who was originally given authority, who's anointed by God. He doesn't identify his power as the son of God ever. He identifies his power as being given to him by God. And in fact, the Bible says in Philippians that Jesus, before he came to the earth, emptied himself of all of his heavenly power and glory. And he was found in fashion. He humbled himself and was found in fashion as a man. Well, men don't have authority over that, over sickness and disease in and of themselves, do they? Man would have lost that with Adam's fall. So if Jesus is operating here on the earth as the son of God, how could he be anointed? He's God. Who can anoint God? There's only one conclusion we can draw from these things, folks, and that is Jesus was here on the earth operating as a man who God anointed to do miraculous works. For what purpose? To prove that he was the son of God? No, to prove that God sent him. To prove that he was the one sent to reveal the father to us. That's why Jesus said, everything I do, I do because of my father. My meat is to do my father's will. The works that I do are not my works. They're works that the father does in me. Well, how is that possible? Because he was anointed of the Holy Ghost. So now Jesus is on the earth. He comes to the earth. He's baptized by John in the Jordan River. And as a result, now he has authority over sickness and disease. In other words, it's a restoration. When the Holy Ghost anoints Jesus, who is a sinless man, same condition as Adam before the fall. Jesus is without sin, just like Adam and Eve were without sin before the fall. Same condition. Now, God's original plan for Adam and Eve to be the gods of this world, in other words, to have authority over all things here on the earth, everything that God created, now that authority is restored not to mankind, but to one man, the man who is without sin, Jesus Christ the righteous. And as such, that authority is given to Jesus, and it seems to be under his control to such a degree that he can delegate that authority to others. In other words, the authority that was given to one man, Jesus Christ the righteous, because he was without sin, was not intended for just one man. But instead it was intended for mankind, all those who would be followers of the one man, Jesus. So even before Jesus went to the cross, He gave his his disciples power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And they went forth everywhere. 
preaching the kingdom of God and healing the sick. Now, put yourself in the disciples' position. You're one of the twelve, and I, I'm sure that none of them, when they were chosen as one of the twelve, realized the significance of that, that selection. I'm sure of it. Jesus picks twelve people, and he says, all right, you're my first string. They weren't the only ones around. In Luke chapter 10, he finds 70 other also. He didn't have to go looking for them. There must have been 120 or so. Most most uh, theologians agree there, there were anywhere from 100 to 120 or so people that followed Jesus around everywhere that he went. He's got his own ministry staff, so to speak. And of those, he chose first the 12 and then secondly the 70. And he commissioned the 70 in Luke chapter 10 with pretty much the same commission that he gave the 12. So it's not like the 12 were unique or special in that regard because he multiplied that number to send even more out to heal the sick and to preach the kingdom of God too. So much so that in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, why don't you turn over there? Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it says, The disciples returned with great joy and said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us in your name. Now, if you look through chapter... uh, if you look through Luke chapter 10, you'll find out he didn't say one word about exercising authority over the devil. But he did give them authority over sickness and disease. But now they come back and they say, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us in your name. And Jesus responds and says in verse 18, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean Satan fell when they exercised authority over the devil? No. He's talking about Satan's original fall. He's saying, yeah, exercising authority over a fallen foe, a fallen enemy, It's not a hard thing. Now, Satan is a defeated enemy. He rose up against God. He took a third of the angels and rose up and rebelled against God. And the Bible said God cast him out of heaven as lightning. Now, a lot of times church people will have this idea or they'll paint this picture of there was this great battle in heaven. But the Bible said God cast Satan out of heaven like lightning. You ever seen lightning come from heaven? Notice how slow it travels to the ground? It's an instant flash and a crash, right? When Satan rose up against God, there was no great struggle in heaven. God ended his rebellion by casting him out of heaven and casting him into the earth. And I believe that's why Satan was here on the earth when God created the world of Adam and Eve. Because he'd been cast out of heaven to the earth. I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. To where? Well, he's here, isn't he? This must be where he fell. And then he goes further and says in verse 19, he says, Behold, I give unto you power. This word power is the word authority. I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power. That's a different word. That's the word ability. I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the ability of the enemy. And nothing, here's what that authority and that, that ability will do. He said, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, if he's just said that you've got authority over the devil, he's saying the devil can't hurt you. Well, isn't that what sickness and disease does? Doesn't it hurt us? Doesn't it bring harm to our bodies? Doesn't it rob us of life and finances? Doesn't it rob us of blessings? And the more serious the sickness and disease is, it'll rob us of joy with our families and our loved ones. It steals from us in every respect. Yet Jesus said that we have authority. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the 70. 
He said, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, why is it just to these special 70 people? Well, let's keep reading here. Let's see if he's talking about something unique to them or exclusive to them. Verse 20, he said, Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Well, wait a minute. My name's written in heaven. Isn't yours? That means you become a believer in Jesus. So the 70 don't have something exclusive just to them. He's saying this is the kind of authority that belongs to anybody that's in Christ. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall by any means. Well, sickness and disease is a means, isn't it? By any means means through in any way. Or by any means or by any measure. That would include sickness and disease. And nothing shall by any, by any means hurt you. Nothing shall through any sickness hurt you. In other words, you have to have authority. If your name's written in heaven, you have to have the same authority that they had over all sickness and all disease. No, that's not the way it works, Pastor Mike. Well, then God is a respecter of persons. If it doesn't work that way, then God is a respecter of persons, and the Bible says he's not. So if he is a respecter of persons when the Bible says he's not, then that means the Bible's a lie. Well, if that part's a lie, how do you know the part you got saved on is not a lie? How can you have confidence to believe any part of the word if any part of it's a lie? Folks, it's a, it's a package deal. It's either all true or it's all a lie. So since the Bible says God is not a respecter of persons, that means he won't give one person authority that he doesn't give another. And this has nothing to do with his specific plan for their life. He's talking about something that belongs to them because their names are written in heaven. So Jesus went through the earth healing the sick, healing every manner of sickness and disease. He sent his 12 out to heal every manner of sickness and disease. He sent the 70 out and gave them authority over all, uh, well, over all sickness and disease. And they found out that authority even went to casting out devils. Even the devils are subject unto us in your name. But then Jesus said that the time was coming. When he was here on the earth, he told his disciples, the time is coming where nobody will be able to work. He said that in context of healing the blind man in John chapter 9. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me. And in the work that he worked was a healing work. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night comes when no man can work. So he's saying there's a period of time that was to come from the point in time that he spoke this in John chapter 9. He said there's a period of time where nobody's going to be able to work. Now, since the healing, the work was healing that he performed in John chapter 9, we have to assume that he means there'll be a time where nobody can heal. What was that time? Well, the only time from the time Jesus came to the earth through the present day that healing has not been made available to the earth, made available to the church, was the time between his crucifixion and his resurrection. A time when darkness covered the earth. 
But as soon as Jesus is raised from the dead, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. As soon as Jesus is raised from the dead, notice what he says to his disciples. These are the same 12 that had been given authority over sickness and disease in Matthew 10, Luke 9, and Mark Mark 6. And now notice what Jesus says in verse 18 of Matthew 28. Jesus came and spoke unto them. This is after he's raised from the dead. He came and spoke unto them and said, all power, this is the word authority, same word authority as uh, translated power in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 19. He says, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, let's compare that to what we knew before. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Jesus was anointed with Holy Ghost power to exercise authority over all the devil's works. So the authority that Jesus had here on the earth was authority over all the devil's works. If the scripture is true and accurate. He was given authority to perform works of healing, works of deliverance, works of restoration to overcome the works of the devil. That's the authority that Jesus had here on the earth. Satan was still the God of this world. Jesus being on the earth didn't stop Satan from being the God of this world, which means he still had his authority to rule and reign through spiritual death upon them who were subject to sin. Jesus was not subject to sin. There was no sin in him. He was Jesus the righteous. And as a result, he operated outside of Satan's realm of spiritual death. So therefore, when he was anointed of the Holy Ghost, he was given authority or delegated by God, anointed by God with authority over sickness and disease, which God still withheld because he was the creator of the earth. He didn't give all of his authority to, to uh, Adam. He delegated authority to Adam. He's still the owner of the earth. As a leaseholder, you have certain rights, but that doesn't mean you own the property. Now, as a leaseholder, Adam sublet the earth to Satan and lost his place as the first position on the lease. Therefore, Satan became the god of this world. But Jesus, as the son of the owner, was given authority to operate outside of Satan's lease to a certain degree. He was not subject to spiritual death. And that's the the extent of his authority. His authority was over the works of the devil. His authority was over sickness and disease. His authority was over evil spirits and everything else that was attributed to the devil. He even had authority, exercised authority over the, the, uh, the impact of spiritual death where physical laws were concerned. That's how he walked on the water. Why? Because his father, the owner of the earth, Bible says, God said, the earth is mine in the fullness thereof. It still is, folks. The earth still belongs to God. Your daddy owns this place. He may not be running it because Adam sold us out, but your daddy owns the place. And he's coming to take back, take control of it again. So Jesus was able to supersede certain laws of nature. He turned water into wine. He walked on the water. And so forth. He calmed the storms, rebuked the wind, and so forth. Why? Because of the anointing of the Holy Ghost upon him. 
Therefore, when Jesus went to the cross, because he is the holder of that authority, his disciples were no longer able to use it. And for those three days and nights that Jesus was in the heart of the earth, literally in hell, paying the price for spiritual death, nobody could do any work. That's the night that Jesus was talking about where nobody could work. So Jesus comes back on the scene, is raised from the dead, and the first thing he says to his disciples is, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Not part authority, not partial authority, not just even the authority we had before. Now all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. The Bible says that Jesus earned a name that's above every name. How did he do that? It wasn't just through what he did here on the earth. What Jesus did here on the earth was just to thwart the devil's plans. To set people free that the devil was trying to destroy. Now, that's not how he earned his name. But the Bible says in Philippians that Jesus earned a name. Through conquest, he earned a name that was greater than any name. He earned that name in hell, folks. John says it this way in the Revelation. When Jesus appears, he says, behold, I am he that I am he that is alive and was dead, but liveth forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and death. Jesus didn't have that when he was here on the earth. That was something he gained through his resurrection. So when Jesus appears to his disciples, it's interesting to me that the first thing he talks to him about is authority. He didn't look at them and say, you guys really need to get saved. He talked to them about authority. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Why? Because they're used to exercising authority in his name. So the first thing he talks to them about, the first thing he makes mention of is, remember that authority stuff? I'm back with more than I ever had. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. That says to me that he's got more than he had when he was here. What do we know he had when he was here? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. It's an amazing thing to me that people would say, and Christians do, churches do. It's an amazing thing that people would say that we don't need the same authority now that Jesus exercised when he was here on the earth. It's an amazing thing to me that for people to say we don't need the same authority as they had in the book of Acts. What changed? Jesus said the world gets worse and worse as we go. And we don't need that same authority over sickness and disease. Is that really what people mean? Are they just parroting something that's been passed down through the ages? Or are they using their brain in any way when they say that? It's an honest question. I really mean mean that as a serious question. Jesus says, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. (laughs) All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. What's he do? Immediately he tells the church how to use it. He says, go ye therefore. Therefore is the connection to authority. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. Go in the authority that I have in both heaven and earth. I'll take care of it in heaven. You take care of it on earth. 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. Now, this is the 12 that are hearing this. What does this sound like to them? Luke chapter 9. Same thing he said in Luke chapter 9. He called his 12 disciples unto him and he gave them authority over all evil spirits and to cure diseases. So what they do? They went everywhere preaching the kingdom of God and healing the sick. What are they going to do now? They're going to go everywhere preaching the kingdom of God and healing the sick. This is the same thing. For them, it's the same thing. They recognize it ex- as exactly the same thing. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, we see what they had. We see what they knew about what they had. They wait in Jerusalem until they're filled with the Holy Spirit, until they're endued with power from on high. In other words, anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, just like Jesus was in Luke chapter 4, that Paul described, that Peter describes in Acts chapter 10. They're waiting for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. They've been given authority. Now they're waiting for the power to back it up. And so what did Jesus say? But you shall receive power, Acts one eight. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So they've done what they were supposed to do. They waited in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Ghost came upon them. Acts chapter 2 tells about that. The Holy Ghost came upon them. The evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost is they all began to speak with other tongues. Peter stands up and preaches to the crowd and 3,000 people get saved. And immediately on the heels of that, Acts chapter 3. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. That's three o'clock in the afternoon. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. They're asking for money. He's a beggar. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And he... The crippled man gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. Such as I have, give I thee. What did Peter know he had, and how did he know he had it? Well, Jesus has just been raised from the dead not two months before. Not Well, Pentecost took place in Acts chapter 2. That's 50 days after Passover when Jesus was crucified. So it's been about 47 days since Jesus appeared and said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth, go therefore into the world. They've been waiting in Jerusalem. Jesus has been appearing back and forth. The Bible says on one occasion, he appeared and over 500 people saw him at once. Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost comes along, a little bit over a month, maybe a month and a half. The Holy Ghost is poured out. They look at each other, hear each other speak in tongues, and they said, this is that which was spoken about Joel the prophet. This is what Jesus was telling us to wait for. Why did he tell them to wait for it? Because it's the power behind the authority. So immediately thereafter, Peter starts talking about what he has. Isn't that coincidental? He starts talking about what he has. Right after he's empowered by the Holy Ghost to exercise the authority that Jesus gave them 
at his resurrection. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. What do you have, Peter? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. I've got healing power in the name of Jesus. How'd you get that, Peter? Because Jesus gave it to me. He gave it to me in Matthew chapter 28. He backed it up in Acts chapter 2. So I'm going to start using it in Acts chapter 3. Now, why did he give it to Peter? Did he not know that Peter and the rest of the disciples are going to die soon? I mean, it's not a hundred years that goes by. If this power is just given to them, what about the rest of the world? What about us? What about the generations that come after these guys die? Well, wait a minute. Did Jesus give them authority because they were the twelve? Or did he give them authority because he conquered the devil? Who's he given authority to? Is he given authority to just a select group of 12 men? Or is he given authority back to mankind because their names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life? See, folks, that's the source of authority. The source of authority is that we're in Christ. Not because you're somebody special or some special anointing or some special selection or some special apostle or something else. Peter is the one that tells us they didn't have something special in this case, in this very case. But he knew what he had. Such as I have, give I thee. I love that. If you don't know you have something, it's a sure bet you're not going to use it. You ever stuck money in a pocket of a coat, forgot that it's there, put the coat on the next season and find that money? Well, it was yours all along, wasn't it? But you couldn't use it because you didn't know you had it. You might have even gone through some real lean times between those two events. You had money all the time. But if you don't know what you have, you can't use it. Peter knew what he had. Such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with him into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Now notice it says in verse 11, it says, And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. They've got questions. You could well understand that. How'd this man get healed? And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Peter seems to be indicating that this should be a normal occurrence. I don't think the crowd agrees. But see, Peter seems to be implying this should not be a special thing. Why marvel ye at this? Or... Here's the next thing he asks. Why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or our own holiness we had made this man to walk? Now, folks, I would submit to you that that's exactly what the modern-day church, and not just the modern-day church, that the church for centuries has believed as to the reason that the disciples could heal the sick, that they had some special power or some special place with God. Yet that's the very thing that Peter said it was not. He said, why are you looking at us like we're something special? Indicating he doesn't think they're anything special. 
He doesn't think that they have some special power that other people can't have. He doesn't think they have some special holiness or some special place with God by being apostles that somebody else can't have. He's saying this isn't apostle power. Don't think for a minute this is apostle power. Well, Peter, if it's not apostle power, what is it? But before we get to that, let's ask a better question. Who should know better than Peter? He knows what he has because he uses it to get the man healed. Well, then shouldn't we listen to him tell us what it was and how it works? He certainly should be the one to tell us what it's not and what it is. He says it's not apostle power. Well, then what is it, Peter? Verse 13, he said, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus. He starts talking to him about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he's in the temple and these are Jews. And then he identifies this is to glorify his son Jesus. How does it glorify his son Jesus? Because Jesus said at his resurrection, all power or authority, literally, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. You go, therefore, and use it in earth. That means when we use the power of God, exercise the authority that we have in the name of Jesus here on the earth, it glorifies God's son, Jesus, which is exactly what Peter says. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. That was Barabbas. And killed the prince of life whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. You thought you got rid of him, but he's raised again from the dead. We've seen him. He's the one that told us all authority is given unto us in the earth. He's the one that commissioned us to use authority to heal the sick. He's the one that gave us the power. So what did it? If it's not apostle power that did it, Peter, what is it? Verse 16, and his name. Everybody say his name. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. You ever heard anybody in the church say the name of Jesus has changed? You ever heard the people that say that God doesn't heal the sick anymore like he used to in the book of Acts? You ever heard them say the name of Jesus has changed? They'll say, no, the apostles died and that healing power died with the last apostle. Peter said it's not based on apostles. As an apostle, he ought, to, he ought to know. He said the power is based in his name. Have you ever heard anybody in the church say the name of Jesus is different now than it was in the book of Acts? No, and you never will. Because if the name of Jesus is different now than it was in the book of Acts, there's no name given under heaven whereby men may be saved. Because the name of Jesus is the only name whereby men may be saved. So if the name of Jesus has changed, there is no salvation. There is, new, there is no new birth. There is no life in Christ. So you'll never hear anybody say that. You'll never hear anybody say the name of Jesus has changed when Peter said it was the name through faith in his name that made this man strong, that healed this crippled man. So if the name hadn't changed, that means healing's still in the name. There's been a cloud hanging over your head for about 30 minutes. It's the glory of God. 
Notice how still everything is in here. It's the presence of the Holy Ghost. Now, what's he here for? Well, he's here to confirm his word. The Bible says of the disciples that they went everywhere. The Lord working with and confirming his word with signs following. The Holy Ghost is here to confirm the word with signs following. He's here to prove. And to manifest himself. To show that there's still healing in the name of Jesus. And the more you talk about Jesus, the stronger the glory of God gets. I love it when he shows up. Let's just worship the Lord for a moment. Lord, we magnify you. Holy Spirit, we reverence you. We recognize your presence. We honor you. We give you place to move and to manifest yourself in this congregation. Not our will, but your will be done, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that this is a healing cloud. This is healing glory to manifest on behalf of the people, to bring deliverance, to bring healing, to bring wholeness. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Blessed be the name of Jesus. 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 Oh, the glory is here. Yes, the glory is here. I can sense His mighty presence in the very atmosphere. For whatever you may need, reach out and receive and say it's mine, I have it now. Oh, the glory is here. Yes, the glory is here. I can sense His mighty presence in the very atmosphere. For whatever you may need, reach out and receive. And say it's mine, 
I have it now. Lord, we receive our healing in Jesus' name. We reach out and take it with the hand of faith. In the name of Jesus. That name that contains all power in heaven and earth. That name that contains healing. That name that contains deliverance and freedom. That name that contains provision and blessing. That name that's above every name. We receive in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now take action. Do something you couldn't do. It's one thing to say we take. It's another thing to act on it. Do something you couldn't do. Lord, we bless you. We magnify you. We praise you for the presence of God, the healing presence of God in this place. Thank you, Lord, for making us whole. Thank you for the completed work of Jesus. For the authority that we have over sickness and disease. In the name of Jesus. We demand our rights. Over the work of the enemy in our bodies. We refuse to allow sickness and disease to stay. And remain. In the name of Jesus. 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 It's important that you act. It's important that you do something. The Bible says be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. If your shoulder is hurt, start moving your shoulder around. Whatever it is, take action. To do otherwise is to wait for God to do something. And He's already done His something. He sent Jesus to the earth. He laid sickness and sin upon Him on the cross. He's done His something. Now you do something. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed, blessed, blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody just received their healing. Who is that? Who can tell the difference in, in yourself than when you came in here? Who is that? 
Is it you? What's different? Yeah, is it you? Are you saying it's you? What's different? So the pain's gone. You're bending like you couldn't before. How many years? You're talking about something you've had for how long? Five or six years? And you can tell the difference. I'm talking about what you had tonight. I'm talking about something that happened tonight. You can tell the difference than before you came in. Well, stand out in the aisle and show us what you can do. That's something you couldn't do when you came here? Is that what you're saying? Praise God. Your shoulders free too? Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, if she's had it for five or six years, she ought to know, huh? Hallelujah. Lord, we bless you. We magnify your name. Holy Spirit, thank you for healing the people of God, for manifesting your healing presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Seems like there's somebody else. Who else can tell a difference in your body than when you came in? Kelly, what? Your shoulder? What was your problem with your shoulder? Now you can? Praise the Lord. For about six weeks, she couldn't move her shoulder behind herself or over her head. Now she can. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, there are some that will think that you just plant these thoughts in people's minds and it's all psychosomatic. It didn't really happen. They're just thinking something happened. How do you convince people that think that? How do you convince people that think these things aren't real when people are testifying this was the case with our sister here for five or six years and this was the case with Kelly for the last six weeks? How do you convince people like that? How do you convince them? See, there's always going to be an opportunity for you to say, ah, well, that's not real. How do you convince people? God doesn't seem to be worried about trying. God just blesses people that will receive it. And lets people think what they want to. Because you could have somebody get out of a wheelchair and other people are still going to say the same thing. Some people will say, well, it wasn't that he couldn't walk. He just came in a wheelchair because he wanted to. People say all kinds of stupid things. Doesn't discount the real. We've got two people here that are claiming they got really healed tonight. Is there anybody else? Anybody else get anything? Something you can tell? You know what things like this are for? Are you waving at me, ma'am? Okay. Do you get something tonight? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. 
You're saying you were in pain when you came and now you're not in pain? But not now? Now you don't have any pain? Praise the Lord. So the pain that normally accompanies your situation is gone. Well, stand up and praise the Lord about it then. Hallelujah. Let's worship God with us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you that Jesus carried our pains. Thank you that Jesus carried our pains. Thank you that Jesus carried our pains. Um, yes, ma'am. I'm sorry? I can't hear you. Somebody tell me what she's saying. A hip being healed? Okay. Who's got the hip problem? Lindy, is that you? Did you receive your healing? What happened? Pain in your hip just left? Praise the Lord. Okay, who's the esophagus? You're another hip. That's all right. We can have more than one hip. So what's the difference in now and when you came in? Didn't do what? So you can tell the difference in your body. Works for me. Praise the Lord. Yes, ma'am. Pain where? Okay. So you came in with arthritis pain and now it's gone? Is that what you're saying? Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Okay, is there somebody with an esophagus problem that's gotten to receive their healing? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Somebody that was claiming their healing for their esophagus and now they've received their healing and the, the, the pain's gone or something's gone? Am I hearing correctly? Who is that? Who's got an esophagus problem? Well, it's not me. I don't up to if it was me. 
Carol? Your esophagus? Do you receive your healing? So you're having problems, pain, or whatever, and now you're not? Amen. Let's lift our hands and thank God for His healing work. Thank you, Lord, for ministering to these people. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, strengthen these that question and that doubt. Strengthen them with might by your spirit and their spirits. That Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. Strengthen them, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, we wait upon you. Is there anything else for us to do, Father? Holy Spirit, is there anything else you desire to do? Any way you desire to manifest yourself? What you got, Dean? So you're saying the pain is continuing to subside? Yes. Praise God. Folks, I fully intended to lay hands on the sick tonight. I guess the Holy Ghost doesn't need my help, does he? Well, let me encourage you to keep the switch of faith turned on. For some of you, if something has started, if something has begun, God didn't start you to take you halfway and then leave you desiring the rest of it. If He's begun something, it's His intent to complete it. But not all healing is instant. 
It wasn't in Jesus' ministry. We would think that it would be because he was the son of God. He had the spirit without measure. So we would think that everybody got healed instantly with him, but they didn't. Not according to the Gospels. And the people that didn't get healed instantly weren't second-class believers or anything along those lines. It's just sometimes the way that it works. I guess it'd be kind of like winning the lottery with a lump sum or winning the lottery over a yearly payments. I'd be happy with it either way, wouldn't you? So keep the switch of faith turned on. Recognize that the same presence of God that's here in this place and was here in this service dwells in you every day. You can stay just as conscious of the Holy Ghost when it's just you and Him alone as when we're here together in an atmosphere like this. So keep the switch of faith turned on. And don't give up until it's complete. Demand your rights in Jesus' name. This is something Jesus paid for. You have a right to it. Amen. Amen. Well, we've had the presence of the Holy Ghost in our services, and now we get to eat ice cream. It just doesn't get any better than that. The ice cream social is being set up out front. We hope you can stay. But do me a favor, would you? Let's leave the presence of God, the sweet presence of God in this room, the way that it is. Let's take our fellowship and stuff out in the foyer. Let's show respect and reverence for the Holy Ghost and appreciation for Him manifesting Himself tonight. Would you do that for me? Amen. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank You so much that it is Your will and Your desire always to heal. We thank You for the manifestation of the Holy Ghost tonight. We thank You for the great works that were done. We thank You for the great works that have, been, that have begun. We trust in you, Lord, and will never turn back. We therefore declare in the name of Jesus that we are healed by his stripes and that we refuse to allow sickness to remain in our bodies. In Jesus' name. If you can agree with that, say amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for being with us.